This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN, Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jack Elm, the show talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports here on 90.7 WXIN. We have one gigantic thing to talk about today, and that is the Super Bowl, which is coming up this Sunday when the Patriots will be facing off against the Philadelphia Eagles in Minneapolis. But of course, you already know that if you're listening to this show, and you may want to hear what I got to talk about it, and I have a lot of things to say. We are going off the script today, though I have no script, no plan. I'm going to be at the will of the callers, and we comes in. Anything that pops into my mind is there's so much I got to talk about this game, and I have not had time to plan, nor have really been able to plan. I'm just going off. So if you want to weigh in on anything to do with the Super Bowl, anything to do with going on in sports right now. Don't be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787 or hop on Facebook, go to the official Stadium Experience Facebook page and watch the Mike Kane Memorial live stream on Facebook. Drop me a comment. Anything you want me to talk about, anything you want me to think. Watch me, I'm stupid. I don't care. Anyway, though, with all that out of the way, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And with all that out of the way, we are going to dive right in. I have no plan for today. None whatsoever. Haven't been able to think of one. It's hard. There's a lot, a lot to talk about. And yet so little. So much micro stuff, so much macro stuff. It's really hard to even know where to begin, but we'll figure out where. So the Patriots now in Minneapolis. Ooh, we got a message from Job. Might actually find out where he is. We may or may not may not be able to see Job Goo today. He just messaged me. So we'll see figure out what the deal is with him. We'll keep me updated on that. But nevertheless, once again, if anybody wants to call in, let me know what they think. Don't be afraid to call in 401-456-8787 or 401-456-9946. And we're here now. We're looking at the Eagles. And the first question, the first one that burns for me, the first thing that I start to consider is the quality of the opponent. Now, a lot's been made, and rightfully, a lot's been made about what this game comes down to and what this game would come down to would be presumably Nick Foles. That seems like the biggest X factor in this game. This is an Eagles team that was one of, if not the best team in the league. I thought all year, I said it many times, that I figured that this, I thought that this Eagles team not going to the quarterback matchup, but on balance was overall a better team. I have always felt like the Patriots would always have a good chance again, but just because the quarterback head coach combo, I think is where most of these things come down to. But on balance, I've said most of the year, I think the Eagles have a better defense. Well, they do over there. Obviously have a better defense. Patriots defense is terrible, but well, not terrible, but you get my point. <laughs> the Patriots defense isn't that great. And on balance, Eagles also have a better offense. Overall, between the weapons they have, which they have a ton of weapons everywhere, and having what really graded out to be one of the best O-lines in the league. So, X-Factor here, not Carson Wentz, Nick Foles. And you look at this team, and Nick Foles is not going to repeat what he did in the NFC Championship game. That, I think, is out of the question. The Vikings' defense was by and far better than the Patriots defense all year. I don't think there's a Samuel Adams soaked Tom Brady poof hat wearing guy out there who's going to tell me any differently on that. 
But also, I don't think that means, well, the Vikings' defense is worse, so Nick Foles will throw for six touchdowns in this game because that's just the math works out on that. No, Nick, the, the Eagles' offense will not do what they did against the Vikings' defense and the Patriots' defense. And that seems counterintuitive because I just explained why the, why, that the Vikings' defense is much better. But they were. The Vikings' defense played like garbage in the NFC Championship game. And I don't mean garbage like they were exploited scheme-wise, like the Eagles had some brilliant plan that they can also use against Patriots. I mean that the, and I don't think any, and you look at it close, everything is really hard to argue any of this, but you look at this page, you look at the Vikings' defense in that game, they were not tackling, for starters. They lost the ability to tackle in that game, so they were letting guys free that shouldn't have been getting free. They were just blowing coverages all over the place, this and that, and yeah, they were not playing the way they've been playing. So I look at this Patriots defense and I say, well, they're going to be able to tackle. They're not going to uncork a, let a screen pass to Jay Ajayi uh, go 40, 50 yards. The Patriots defense isn't going to just get absolutely eaten alive by a flea flicker. As much as I have just shat on this New England defense through the offseason, through the preseason, through the regular season, they're not going to do what the Vikings defense did. They're not going to look like they don't belong there in this game. So... The Eagles are not going to hang 40 points on the Patriots. That That's not going to happen. Like, I'm not worried about that. And also, you look at it, a lot, all the Eagles' touchdowns came on long plays, really, the majority of them. They were either broken coverages, just guys whiffing on tackles, and, yeah, those things, those specific things are not going to happen. So... I want to put that on the table. I want to make sure that's in everybody's head before I start talking about what this Eagles offense could do, which is, once again, going back to where I started, all dependent on the play of Nick Foles. Which... I think we will see a good Nick Foles. Like, I believe this will be a good game for Nick Foles. I believe he'll play well. I believe he'll move that offense well. Which, am I biased? Because I used to love Nick Foles, which I've said a ton of times since he started playing again. Yes. Yes, 2013, 2012, me loved Nick Foles. That was going to be the next big thing. But he was awful when he started playing this season. Awful. Terrible. They looked like dead in the water. You think about going to Nate Ber- 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 Berlinson or whatever the hell his name is. Whatever the name is. A backup quarterback who I don't know means he sucks. If I, if I don't know him. So, Nate Sudfeld. I do know him. He still sucks, though. But, you have a guy who's coach for whatever you say about Doug Peterson. Young coach, Andy Reedtree, yada, yada, yada. Plenty, plenty of things. Doesn't do anything on defense. He's one of these overglorified coordinator head coaches, which I hate, and that's what's destroying the NFL. But Doug Peterson has done a good job completely changing the offense of the Eagles on the fly. And there's been much said about this, but I don't want to say much about it. 
but I want to say talk about it. Doug Peterson took this offense with Nick Foles that wasn't working at all. And he has added things to it. He has added a lot of the run pass options. He's found ways to make it work and scheme up yards. And going against this Patriots defense, that has not been great. They're going to find ways to do that. Unless Nick Foles just gets here and just completely craps his pants and doesn't and just gets scared of the Patriots, which, you know, most guys are kind of inclined to do, which happens more often than it doesn't happen. But if that doesn't happen and they come and they're ready to play, which once again is a big if with these teams the Patriots facing the Super Bowl team, I've got to acknowledge that. I mean, more often than not, these teams have no idea what, to, what they're doing and no idea how to handle the Super Bowl. So I'm not going to throw that out. If that, if that ends up being what sinks them, then fine. But if they come in and they are ready to play, they'll be able to produce. They will. They'll be able to produce. I think the Patriots will do an adequate job defending them. But that that team does have too many weapons. They really do. For the Patriots to be able to just shut them all down. I mean, they have... They... I mean... So... Aguilar... Tory Smith, Alshon Jeffrey. God, I can't remember Alshon Jeffrey's name. I'm batting. I'm over two. I'm remembering names today. Jeffrey, and then at the tight end they have Zach Ertz, and the I mean they have so many running backs and Jay Ajay, Smallwood, Blount, 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 Forrest Trauma, Woo, Blount. But they have weapons. So it, 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 unless Doug Peterson has a brain aneurysm and can't figure out that, like he's gonna find a way. To create, to find a guy who's, he's going to find a way to get a player in a plus matchup versus like a Landon Roberts or Lawrence, or Lawrence Guy or something or Rowe. He'll find a way to get a player in a good matchup somewhere in this game. It, he can't not. They, like just, they have enough weapons and the Patriots have enough not so good players on the field defensively that no matter how well coached are, no matter how good the scheme is, like they will find a way. And that that could be what, and if there's anything that sinks the Patriots in this game, it's that. It's it's that. It'll it'll be you know a 50 yard reception by Jay Ajay on a Landon Roberts that gives us flashbacks to the Dolphins game, which once again don't think that will happen, but it could like that. I, I mean, like I said, the Patriots... So I don't think it will be Nick Foles is necessarily the X factor. Because I think Nick Foles will be fine. I don't think Nick Foles is going to play at some, you know, obscene caliber level. But he'll do adequately. So it'll come down to the X. The actual X factor is how well can the Patriots defend this bevy of Eagles weapons. And we actually have a caller on the line right now, which is always exciting. And hello, caller. Who am I, who am I talking hello. to? What's up? What's up? Who am I talking to? Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Oh, God damn it. None, none of this nonsense. We take American callers only on this program. How did I know that was going to happen? All right. So the X factor in this game will be the Patriots' ability to defend this bevy of Eagles' weapons. 
it'll come down to how well can they defend it. And the linebacker specifically, which has been just a source of cringe for the entire playoffs all year, all time, ever. But <laughs> going back to last year's playoffs, I've been worried about this. But it'll come down to that. It'll come down to... And then the secondary, I mean, I can be very... I mean, with how much of a defender of Malcolm Butler I've been, I can very easily see Nelson Aguilar just blowing by Malcolm Butler at one point for an easy giant gain. And then they have Torrey Smith, who hasn't been super effective this year. He hasn't. So, I mean, Torrey Smith, all things considered, has not been good, really. He hasn't been great most of the year. He's obviously been a kind of a, not a mistake signing for them, but... He hasn't been the guy that they were hoping for, but still, he's a speed guy. He's still fast. He hasn't gotten slower. So between him and Aguilar, and then you'll have Jeffrey, who I imagine will be covered a majority of the game by Gilmore, who has been having an outstanding postseason. But still, like, two good games against the Titans and the Jaguars. I'm still not sitting here, you know, 100% confident in Gilmore. So... The Patriots are facing what's been the best offense they've seen they've seen in the playoffs by a, a long shot actually it's better than what I mean you know Mariota is probably the best QB but they didn't have nearly the amount of weapons. They were dealing with Corey Davis, who still had two touchdowns, by the way, on Malcolm Butler, but whatever. And then you went against Blake Bortles and a running game. And there's a car going off in the freaking parking lot right now. But yeah, this is the best offense Patriots have faced by far. Nick Foles is probably better than Blake Bortles. I don't feel like that's an insane, stupid thing to say. So I'm going to, you know, everything I'm saying is also functioning on the idea that, yeah, like Nick Foles is better than Blake Bortles. And with minimal weapons and just a creative game plan, the Jaguars were able for some of that game to, were able to, for some of that game, put points upon the Patriots early on. They were able to generate yards. They were able to, you know, get them with all this, you know, nifty play action nonsense. And, you know, like if they didn't fall apart in the fourth quarter, the Jaguars would have taken that game. Probably, if, if they could milk the clock at all in the fourth quarter. But that's not what we see more times than not when these other teams face off against the Patriots in the playoffs. They're not able to play a full 60 minutes. They inevitably make some stupid mistake or series of mistakes, maybe at the end of the game, maybe in the middle of the game, usually at the end of the game, but, I mean, that's just how these things work, obviously. That's what you look at, at the end, but these teams are, for the most part, unable to play a full 60 minutes. You saw it with the Seahawks in 2014. Obviously, great game. They played almost a perfect game. I don't say almost perfect game, but then they gave the Patriots an inch, and they were able to get up on them, and then... End of the game, last play of the last, you know, offensive play for them. They do the stupid, stupid thing, and I still hold out that throwing on the goal line wasn't necessarily a stupid thing to do. I still hold that out. 
I don't, I don't, I defend, I defend Pete Carroll to some degree on the decision, but if I defend Pete Carroll on the decision, I blast Russell Wilson for throwing the ball in the coverage, like feeling like maybe he had to beat the Patriots, feeling like he had to do this or on the goal line. Clock's running. Patriots have a couple of timeouts. Belichick doesn't call a timeout. Pete Carroll panics and calls it himself. So the Patriots get inside these other teams' heads. Maybe that messes them up. Or Atlanta. We we all we all know what happened in Atlanta. I don't think I need to explain that collapse. I've explained it multiple times. I love explaining it. Dan Quinn is a stupid, stupid idiot person. And I'll think that forever and ever. But yeah, the Falcons playing the Patriots. Maybe they wanted to run at the score. Maybe they wanted to show off that they could keep doing what they did. I don't know, but mentally fell apart. Couldn't play 60 minutes against Patriots. Jaguars, once again, end of the second quarter. False start, get sent back. They get a they get a stupid false start because they can't. They don't. They just don't know where the play clock is apparently. So the Jaguars, stupid false start, give the Patriots a chance to score. They drive down the field, end the half, get momentum, come out. Jaguars still stay up going into the fourth quarter, and then as we talked about last week, Jaguars run the ball every first down, get stuff, bunch of three now, saying don't, they milk no clock, and they get the Patriots a chance to come back in the game, and they do. So then, you know, I talk about the Nick Foles or the Patriots' ability to limit the Eagles' offense being the X factor, but in the end, you know, I can go level by level in the game and pick out what parts, you know, of offense, what parts of defense, where on special teams will be the key matchups of the game. But in the end, what it comes down to on a big macro level is the Eagles or really any team playing the Patriots in a big game is their ability to play a full 60 minutes not go in there, not necessarily be scared of Belichick, but not be intimidated by him, not overthink things, not overthink things in simple situations and these teams' ability to play a full, complete game against Brady and Belichick. Because once again, it's not play a full, complete game against the Patriots. You can play 55 minutes against Kyle Van Noy. But if you make, you know, these subtle little mistakes down the stretch, even if you're leading, Belichick and Brady will capitalize on that like a shark smelling blood and will jump on that and... Yeah, they just, they can't do that. And it sounds very simple. Don't run out the clock wrong. Don't throw an interception at the goal line. But seemingly when these teams play the Patriots, they're scared or they're worried and just something's in their head and they do something stupid or they make a giant mistake. So really... Before I try to get even more specific about the matchup or the strength of this part of the team or how good is the Eagles D-line, blah, 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 blah. That's what it comes down to because the Eagles can win all the key matchups of this game. But if they can't play a full 60 minutes, if they play 55 minutes of perfect football, they're not going to win. So that's the key. Like that is the big picture thing. And that is what this game will come down to. Anyway, though, you are listening to the Stadium Experience 
with your host, Jake Helmsley, on 90.7 WXIN. Or maybe you're watching on the fit on the Mike Kane Memorial live stream on the official Stadium Experience Facebook page. Anyway, though, we are going to take just a quick break here. Then we'll be right back. I have some more just Super Bowl stuff. Really, it's all it is. Like I said, kind of an unscripted episode. Kind of letting the words flow out here. We don't know if we're going to be getting joined by Job Gouger. We don't know if it'll be time to do your Job at any point in the game, but any point in the game, any point in the day. So if he tells me you can call in, it'll be time to do your Job. Who knows, though? Anyway, though, like I said, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley, and we'll be right back after these messages. My name is Joe Thompson. I'm 29 years old and have a career that I love as a systems analyst. Career. It still sounds cool to say that word. I never could have gotten on this path without a college degree. And if the college me were here, he'd tell you. I never would have gotten to college without big brothers, big sisters. I could have ended up anywhere, on the streets even. But college, Joe Thompson, not likely. My big brother helped me out. He taught me I could do anything at a time when a lot of people were saying just the opposite. And to a seven-year-old, that means a lot. My big brother's name is Phil, and Phil is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a systems analyst. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child, and that can last a lifetime. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. This entire piece of music was played with only two instruments, a right hand and a left hand. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life with hands-only CPR. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands-only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association, and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Glass Company Smoke Shop and Vapor Lounge is Providence's premier smoke shop and vape supply store. Located at 10 Cedar Swamp Road, Smithfield, Rhode Island. Swing by when they open on November 2nd. Glass Company Smoke Shop. Best smoking supplies in all of our eye. For the best local pizza, look no further than Big Tony's Pizzeria at 525 Eaton Street, Providence, featuring daily specials and free delivery until 4 a.m. Get a whole pie or just a slice at the home of the gangster rap. So call in at 401-490-0000 for a slice of the local favorite, Big Tony's. Often imitated, never duplicated. Or at Rick, can't think of anything better to do? Join 90.7 WXIN. 
create your own radio show and force people to listen to your music, help promote events and shows, or be a voice in a commercial airliner. All tastes and music are welcome at our meeting every Wednesday at 1 o'clock at Horace Mann 186, or check us out at rickradio.org. Come play your music at your station. WXIN Stadium Experience, Jake Elmsley here. Or maybe you're watching on the official Mike Kane Memorial live stream. We've been talking Patriots. We've been talking the keys to the game for the Patriots and the keys to the game for the Eagles, which are really, they're the ones who need the solutions for. But if you want to weigh in about any of these things, don't be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Or once again, if you're on the Official Stadium Stream's Facebook page, walking down the Mike K. Memorial live stream. Do not be afraid to drop me a comment about something or someone maybe you want me to be talking about. But anyway, with that, we're going to continue onward. And something I talked about, and really the main thing I talked about in the tail end of that last segment was the idea that the Patriots are in these other teams' heads, and that really the key to beating the Patriots among all outs, obviously, you know, you hit Tom Brady, you score on the defense, you, you exploit, you know, some of the lesser players, but the biggest, you know, the macro point, the macro key to beating the Patriots is not let them get in your head and play a full game. And we talk about that, and maybe Doug Peterson and his whole gang are able to do that. Maybe they are able to block out the noise, whatever it may be. But the Patriots, and it all comes out this time of year more than anything, is how much in the head of the rest of the general sports fan spear, general sports fan mindset the Patriots are, and... You know, you see these things kind of all year, but especially this time of year, suddenly you see all these kind of things coming out, you know, about cheating or this and that and how the Patriots maybe are bad for the league or this and that. And some of, some of it's deserved. Most of it's probably deserved, but whatever. But, you know, the th- you know there has not been a cheating scandal lately for people to cling to. So the new, you know, the new thing this year has been, this has been something I've rebuked very much, has been the idea that the page that now the refs are involved in some kind of conspiracy with the Patriots because the Patriots have had some notable calls go their way. The Jesse James touchdown, which I spent 20 minutes weeks ago in Hawaii explaining to you all why it wasn't a catch or the Kelvin Benjamin touchdown or some, a lot of people are miffed about a lot of the calls in the Jaguars game from a couple weeks ago and this and that. And that's this time of year breeds these sort of articles. This one coming from The Ringer, coming out, this article here from The Ringer, which came out about two days ago on Monday, on January 29th, from Zach Cram. The Patriots and penalties. Conspiracy theorists might have a point. And that starts out with this. 
the fix might the fix might be in. A selection of questionable officiating decisions helped New England avoid an upset loss to Jacksonville in the AFC Championship game. And conspiracy theorists seized on a latest example of an evidently continuing trend. The Patriots have ridden a wave of refereeing luck all season from overturned touchdowns for the Jets, Steelers, and Bills in the regular season to an odd, pivotal reversal of a penalty ruling against the Titans in the divisional round to multiple controversies in a Jaguars game. Somebody in Boston got the refs on the payroll. Bill's defensive end Jerry Hughes complained to reporters last month. The league indulge, has indulged itself in these theories too with the official NFL research when this is where things actually start to get interesting. The league has indulged itself indirectly with the, with the official NFL research Twitter account posting a curious statistic about the Patriots' uncommonly low penalty total after their after their conference championship win. That nugget has been retweeted more than 16,000 times. Yada, 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 yada. And this is a tweet from NFL Research, which, once again, is the official NFL's, like, research stat Twitter. Whatever you call it. But this isn't some guy in his basement. This is from the NFL. From the Shield. And here's a tweet. The Patriots were called for one penalty against the Jaguars. It is the fewest penalty called on one team in a playoff game since the 2011 AFC Championship game. Dot, dot, dot. When the Patriots were called for one penalty in a win over the Ravens. And then Cram here, Cram Master, continues on. Here's another curious statistic of a similar nature. The Patriots were penalized just 10 yards against the Jaguars. That is the smallest cumulative punishment against one team in a playoff game since the 2016 AFC Championship game. Dot, dot, dot. When the Patriots were penalized just 10 yards in a win over the Steelers. Thus far in the playoffs, the Patriots, excuse me, the Patriots have lost 47 yards on five penalties, while their opponents have lost a combined 160 yards on 16 flags, and four of the five accepted penalties, and this is the crazy number, against New England have come on Punts or kickoffs, meaning the Patriots have lost ground on down and distance five times, just once all month. And then, you know, this, this cram guy goes on to say, of course, it's preposterous thing that the NFL regs is officiating to beat the Patriots. Yada, yada, yada. Deflategate was bad. Yada, yada, yada. So in defense of that, he does say, you know, it's honestly pretty ridiculous, but... Instead of the result of a conspiracy, the Pats, yada, 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 rather than a conspiracy underfoot, it's more likely. And then, you know, he explains that it's probably more likely that the Patriots are just so disciplined and so well coached. They don't commit penalties and that they don't do that, don't do this, yada, yada, yada. And that the Patriots have been the least penalized team in the league since Belichick arrived in Foxborough. Talks about good old Ernie Adams. And then this is where it kind of gets fun again, because I do love the ringer overall. But not everyone approaches sports, and the Patriots in particular so rationally, and it's harder to, to dispel the conspiratorial notions when some facts actually support their claims. For the anti-Patriot masses who believe New England receives favorable treatment, the following pieces of evidence are compelling. Nobody show them to my boss. <laughs> so basically comes says, okay, well, you know, you people who claim that the Patriots are being rigged, that's probably ridiculous, but hey, I'm going to fan this fire for you guys anyway. And 
to give him credit, and I suppose give credit to people, the numbers on their own are jarring. In the playoffs over the last, since from any mainly counts numbers from 2011 to 2017, the Patriots have been penalized 25% less than their opponents in the playoffs. And the Patriots have had a lot, have had half as many penalties of 15 yards or more than their opponents. The Patriots have really no huge difference in their penalty numbers at or away from Foxborough. And according to him, number five, the Patriots advantage manifests predominantly in close games. Here's the most suspicious data point. It involves splitting all contests regular and postseason from 2011-2017 conference championships in the two categories. Close games. And, uh, and there's a large enough sample size with the Patriots that you can just look at numbers from every AFC championship game and get an actually over the, in this decade and actually get a really qualitative sample, quantitative sample. For these purposes, a close game is defined as one with a final margin of eight points or fewer. Yada, yada, yada. In other words, a game in which the fourth quarter either ended or began as a one-possession contest. And 55 non-close games, the, pa the Patriots amassed slightly more penalties than their opponent. In 74 close games, though, they benefited from a massive disparity. And then he gives a disparity, and once again, it, it, it's jarring. Like, it is jarring that the Patriots are penalized as little as they are. And, yeah, they are, I mean, the Patriots are not penalized a lot. They, they have, and you look at the numbers, and I can't, you can't, I can't argue the numbers. I can't sit here and say, oh, those numbers are wrong. I mean, they could be wrong. He could have, he could have just made them all up, and I'm, he could, he could have just made them up. I won't check. <laughs> I'm not going to check. So I, I'm going to assume that the ringer is right. That Zachary Cram is not trying to pull a fast one on all of us. And that numbers are right. And I'm not going to go watch every Patriots playoff game in the last six, seven years and try to <laughs> and just count the penalties. I'll be like, well, Cram, actually, they've been penalized 33% less. So you're fake news, Zach Cram. So... As I try to just readjust my sitting position here. But, yeah, the numbers are jarring. Like, they are. The Patriots are penalized a lot less. But, obviously, I don't believe that, you know, Bob Kraft is signing checks to the officials. Do I also believe that maybe the refs are working in favor of the Patriots for one reason or the other? Not really. I mean, I don't really want to believe that because, you know, the league has not minced punishment with the Patriots in the last couple of years. So I don't No, I don't think that on balance, the league would want the Patriots dynasty to continue. I, d I mean, not to continue. Maybe they want to keep, keep it so there's another good team, but they don't want the Patriots to continue being the team in the Super Bowl. Because to a lot of people, that's a turnoff. It just is. I mean, it, it is. 
to a lot of people having the Patriots in the Super Bowl every year is a turnoff. And yeah, if you're not a Patriots fan, I can understand. And even if you are a Patriots fan, seemingly the interest in the team, oddly enough, is kind of going down. Just based on ticket sales, which is another thing I'll get to in a few minutes. But (laughs) yeah, no, it is not in the best interest of the league to have the Patriots in the Super Bowl every year outside of them being a good villain. But no, I mean, the, the NFL would obviously prefer to have, you know, an Aaron Rodgers. Andrew Luck, Phillip Rivers. There aren't a lot of good quarterbacks in the AFC when I'm, when I'm really trying to think about it. But, yeah, I mean, the NFL would prefer to have a Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers Super Bowl thrown in there somewhere or get the Seahawks back there, I guess, now it's been long enough, or get Cam Newton in the Super Bowl again or something like that. The NFL would prefer that because then they can market more stars. People can see different players and it keeps interest because, once again, I'm sure that for a lot, and I'm not, sh- and I'm not saying sure. Like I'm guessing, I know based on what people are saying, just around the country in the in these articles, just reading through freaking Facebook and Twitter comments by people who are like, "Oh, well, what's the Super Bowl? I want to see see pretty boy Tom Brady play again. I'm bored. This is rigged." And I would tell you this. If the NFL was rigging things, I don't think they'd want to continue having this one team in the Super Bowl time after time after time. Because, yes, if you're not a Patriots fan, that's boring. That's really, really boring. I'm sure. So on balance, I don't think the Patriots have been rigging things. I don't, I don't think the league would have a reason to rig things in the favor of the Patriots. Now, if you want to sit here and tell me maybe they were doing it. Now, if you want to counter that logic with, well, maybe the league would be inclined to, you're right, on balance, they'd rather have better teams. But the league is probably inclined to, re- but the league would rather have Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl than Blake Bortles and... The Jaguars in the Super Bowl, and that's your counter to that last point I made, then fine. That's fair. I that's fair. But on balance, and I, I don't think that really happened. I don't think that really happened, but there's at least a little more validity to that than say that the league say that the league would rather have the Patriots be in the Super Bowl than the Steelers or somebody else new who actually has some sizzle and some stars on that team. No, I don't. No, I don't think that's the case. I don't. Th- that makes no sense to me. Like the league would not rig it and then repeatedly rig it for for the benefit of this one specific team that everybody hates. That everybody who's not a fan of them or isn't a Minnesota fan now because Minnesota fans are coming out in droves. Is <laughs> supposedly. supposedly a reason. I mean, the Minnesota fans, you see it right now. You're seeing the Nick Foles got booed aggressively when he came up with the media day. Then Brady got a standing ovation, which is freaking wild that the Patriots are in a place that's not New England where they're actually being rooted for. But besides that, everybody hates the Patriots. I mean, that's, that's no, I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us here 
disagree with that. I don't think any of us here will deny that. That, yes, on balance, America, not like you, the Patriots. Don't like them. Hates them. So I don't think the NFL will be inclined to constantly rig it to get this specific team in the Super Bowl every year. So, I don't know. Maybe the refs are also intimidated by Belichick. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid that he knows the rules better than them, like in the 2014 divisional round when he was doing all that tricky stuff with who was eligible receivers and it confused and it confused the refs enough that they that they were just kind of letting him do what he wanted. And then after the game, we're looking over the rules like, wait a minute, you're not allowed to do that, Bill. We were wrong. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. You know, in, in the end, like, yes, they are a better coach than everybody. I'm not going to pretend that that's the only reason. I'm sure there's something else that I'm missing as a reason that they're penalized 35% less than the other teams. I don't want to believe that it just comes down to coaching because that, that feels a little light, but no, I this, this is not a conspiracy. I don't think there is a conspiracy is my point to that, but these kind of things show how in the head of just the rest of the country, not the rest of the world, unless maybe London, but the rest of the country, Patriots fans are, which is similar to what I'm talking about, how they seem to be in the head of the other teams they play pretty regularly and pretty often. So that's the thing. And that's what's emblematic of it. They just want to find something that's going on with the, and I'm just being a giant homer today. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like today, Jake. I don't like, I don't like myself today, but they want to find something and find some kind of cheating scandal. And some of the time they've been right and they found something, but lately they can't probably something going on. I'm not going to deny that there's probably something going on, but I don't think it's Bob Kraft handing the refs a check or it's Roger Goodell going like, Hey guys, you know, it'd be good for business. Let's keep the Patriots in the Super Bowl. People love them. People love seeing Tom Brady succeed. Let's throw that up on the TV again. Now, the one counter to that once again would be if you really want to argue that maybe the NFL would want the Patriots in the Super Bowl has been that the Patriots Super Bowls have on balance been the best Super Bowls. Honestly, throughout the 90s, 80s and such you had a lot you had very few just looking over the scores you had very few good Super Bowl games you really did you had very few close games in the Super Bowl most of them were blowouts most of them were multi-possession losses I mean you have some the occasional not true you have the occasional outlier I mean you have Denver Green Bay in 20 in 98 was a one touchdown game. St. Louis Tennessee was a one touchdown game. But on balance, the Patriots have honestly played in terms of just straight up games have played most of the most memorable Super Bowls ever. Like you could make I think you could if you were making a top 10 list of top Super Bowls all time 
not historic wise, not, you know, top Super Bowl teams all time necessarily, but just most exciting games. I think you could comfortably put all the, the, the ones that matter, all the Tom Brady Belichick Super Bowls, all the Tom Brady Bill Belichick Super Bowls. You could comfortably put all those games in the top 10, I think, if you wanted to. Maybe not all of them, but, well, yes, all of them. I think you could argue that all of them belong in the top 10 all-time Super Bowls, which is pretty crazy to think about, but you look at it. I mean, St. Louis, New England, three-point game. Then the next two year, then the next year was Tampa Bay and Oakland. That game was a blowout. Then back come the Patriots, 32-29 Carolina. I mean, New England against Carolina. Now, mind you, that game isn't wasn't quite as exciting as the box score showed because it was the Panthers coming back, but they almost climbed back and tied it up, and then it was a good game. It was a clo- it was a very close game, better than 34-19 Denver over Atlanta in 99. Then the next year you had the Patriot, the first, the first Patriots and Eagles Super Bowl. Now we'll have to start calling it, and that was a three-point game. Now, once again, that game wasn't quite quite as close as you'd like to think, but just because once again it was a matter of Philadelphia coming back late. But still, then after that you have Pittsburgh, Seattle, twenty-one ten. Peyton Manning versus Rex Grossman, twenty-nine seventeen, and then back come the Patriots. <laughs> And 08 for the really sad Super Bowl, yeah, Giants-Patriots. Three-point game, 17-14. Then you come back to it, Pittsburgh Cardinals. That was a good game. That was a very good game, actually. Then you have Saints-Colts. Yeah, kind of not a close game. Packers-Steelers. That was a six-point game. Pretty exciting game, but still not an all-timer. Then, again, Giants-Patriots. All-time game. Not as good as the first one, but still. Super, super tight, close, exciting game. But then... Ravens 49ers, which was, mind you, a 34-31 game. But once again, that game was also a matter of the 49ers coming back late and not being able to come back, which, mind you, is still exciting. Like, the 49 like the 49ers were in that game the whole time, but it was a dull second half and a really exciting first half. But it close game, mind you. Then the next year is when you had the Peyton Manning getting hit in the face by a safety game, and that was 43-8 on the first snap. So that was boring. Then next year you have Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl, which is one of the best games of football I've ever watched in my life. Might have, might be on balance the best game of football I've ever watched in my life. Wire to wire, I think is the most exciting game I've ever watched. I think, it's, I mean, I hold out that was a better game. I don't think you can argue. Overall, it was a better game than the twenty-eight to three game. And so the point, point stands. Super exciting game. Super exciting game. Awesome game. Then, next year, you guys get the point. Next year, Denver, Carolina Super Bowl, and that game sucked. That game was boring. I had a friend there who was from Carolina, and she started crying, and that was sad, but... You know my point? And then the next year, the Patriots come along, and the 28-3 Falcons game. Like, you get my point. Like, I want to say that the NFL would not want to have the Patriots in the Super Bowl... Because people hate them, and people are bored of seeing them, but I can't fully commit to that because then again, the more I think about it, and I've kind of come around to what I've been saying, is the Patriots play in all the good Super Bowls. Like, all the really, really good all-time games in the Super Bowl, win or lose, seem to involve the Patriots. 
seem to involve the Brady Belichick Patriots. For the most part, so maybe the league just like, you know what? At least we know we'll get a good game. For whatever reason, the Patriots can't play a good game, can't just play a nice, easy running game in the Super Bowl. And I was talking about this to Jordan. I was talking to Jordan Moment, who's been on the show before. Before the game, we were talking, and I just, I don't want a close game. I mean, obviously, I want the Patriots to win. I mean, obviously. I, I mean, I'll, in the end, like, obviously, I'll take a close game and the Patriots winning. But for the love of God, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> like, I know this is complete first world problems. Like, oh, I'm sick of the Super Bowl, of them winning the Super Bowl, but it being close. I'm sick of it. But I, I am. Like, I just, I, I, would, I would, for once, <laughs> like to watch a Patriots Super Bowl and feel like at halftime, like, they're good. Like, they, they've, they're, they are comfortably winning this game. Just once. I just want, you know, all these other teams get these boring Super Bowls. And me? I would just, I don't know. You know, I, I, I've had enough of the comebacks. Like, I, I've seen enough. I've seen enough of these great all-time games. Like, I... Nothing, in terms of comebacks, nothing's ever going to top last year. Like, I just, I am sick. Sup, Jason? I am sick of it. <laughs> I'm going to be a bratty Patriots fan right now and sit here and complain that I am sick of seeing the comebacks. I'm not sick of the Patriots coming back. I'm sick of them having the comeback. And I, you know, maybe I just want one Super Bowl where the Patriots get ahead early. Get, a, get ahead early and just stay there. And it's just nice, and we're watching the game, and I feel like they're leading, and I can just sit back and not be getting up, screaming at everybody not to move, screaming at everybody to move their seats, because the game is down to the wire, and it's killing me on the inside, and I just, I don't want that this year. I don't need it. I'm done. I don't need the exciting game. I'm done. I, I don't need that. I want it to be a boring, easy time for the Patriots. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with these exciting historic all-time comebacks i've had enough i've just absolutely just had enough of them for my for my lifetime at 20 years old i've had enough of great comebacks for my team in the super bowl just 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 once can this one just be easy can this one just be easy like can i not spend the entire game being like oh man what's this gonna do to the legacy what if they lose oh god oh god because i get panicky during the super bowl honestly like i just i just want them to win i just i want them to win obviously of course i want them to win it's a take, take of the day from Jake. I want the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. But I want them to win, and I just want it to be easy. I don't, I don't want it to be another all-time tight down-to-the-wire Super Bowl. I've had enough. I've, I've had enough of those. I, I have had just enough of those. Enough of that nonsense. So, yeah. I don't think the Patriots paying off the ref still. That's that's a grand point here. But another 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 article, kind of trying to ra round it back to this Patriots being in the head of other teams and other teams media. Something that came out yesterday, January thirty first, from and this was in the Philadelphia Inquirer by what's the guy's name? Bob Brookover. Bob Brookover. He's a columnist for the Inquirer, which is you know like the big. One of the big newspapers, there are big newspapers, one of the big newspapers in Philadelphia. So it's one of you know, their top prestigious newspapers. And it says, and it's titled, Lives More Important Than Wins. And this article is effectively about 
about how it's about the Patriots responsible for Aaron Hernandez murdering people. Is is I'm gonna read it, but that's that's the premise here. So if you think that's silly, I agree with you. But let me go on. Bloomington, Minnesota. The New England Patriots reside alone in the 21st century dynasty region of the NFL. That is why they're here with the Eagles at Super Bowl 52, mostly answering questions about how great they are and how incredible they've been. That's fine, and that's fair. The applause is well-deserved, even if suspicions remain that their success has always not, not always been on the up-and-up. Be quiet. In addition to being adept at winning games and championships, the Patriots are also great at avoiding the things they want swept out of sight. Spygate and Deflategate, which is the word I'm trying to say on the show, fell into those categories, but the one subject that they want to skirt, which, by the way, they didn't try at all to, to sweep Deflategate under the rug. Like, they... They started it in enti- like the Patriots team started a website to, to try to counter the Wells report. Like the Patriots were not like, oh, this, this isn't happening. Get rid of it. We're not, we're not going to talk about it. They're talking about it a lot. Patriots talked about Deflate Gate a lot. So I'm, they did not try to skirt it under the rug. But anywho, we go on. But the one subject they want to skirt more than any other is a violent and tragic career of the late. Aaron Hernandez. Hello, Nathan. You tuned in at the right time. Perhaps that's because Hernandez's draft selection, despite despite bright red flags everywhere, is a reflection of how winning means everything to the Patriots and no cost is too high. This is the Patriots' fourth Super Bowl appearance in seven years, with the first coming in 2011 when they lost 21-17 of the Giants, blah, 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 blah. In Indianapolis, Aaron Hernandez, a fourth-round draft pick in 2010, was the Patriots' leading receiver in that game, yada, yada, yada. It'll be his last Super Bowl. Yada, 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 yada. Stuff about Hernandez's career. Patriots won the fifth Super Bowl a couple of months earlier. Yada, yada, yada. Trump, I don't anticipate commenting on Hernandez's suicide. The Patriots did not want to comment on Hernandez's suicide. They have not commented any day since then. Either one Patriots in Foxborough, Massachusetts. It's as if Aaron Hernandez never existed. Rob Gronkowski was expected to play in Sunday's game against the Eagles despite suffering a concussion in the Patriots' AFC Championship game. Victory has been taken two ra- had been taken two rounds ahead of Hernandez in the 2010 draft, but the Patriots made it clear that they had round for two, blah, 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 stuff about their contracts. The two would only play one season together before Hernandez's life spiraled into the abyss amid multiple murder charges and the 2015 conviction for the killing of semi-pro football player Odin Lloyd. By then, the Patriots had long since expunged Hernandez from their existence. He had been released in 2013, almost immediately after the Lloyd murder charge was filed. The Patriots put a statement on their website. A young man was murdered last week, and we extend our sympathies to the family and friends who mourn his loss. Words cannot express the disappointment we feel knowing that one of our players was arrested as a result of the investigation. We realize that law enforcement investigations investigations into this matter are ongoing. We support their effort and respect the process. At this time, we believe that this transaction is simply the right thing to do, and this was after they had cut Aaron Hernandez, which they did almost immediately, which was almost shocking at the time, but they cut Hernandez immediately. The shame of the matter is that the Patriots, and specifically coach Bill Belichick, act as, if, act as if they could not possibly know something so awful would ever happen despite the fact that Hernandez had a troubled pass at University of Florida in his hometown of Bristol, Connecticut. A recent CBS documentary detailed Hernandez's life and made it clear that little research needed to be done to understand that he was a troubled soul capable of doing awful things. The episode ends with a doctor from Boston University 
realizing, revealing that Hernandez was dealing with, a, was a victim of severe brain trauma caused by years of playing football. Shocker. We now know, of course, yada, yada, yada. Something about a Bible quote. Yada, yada, yada. And really the article doesn't take too strong of a stance on the thing. It really, like, it, as much as people have been making it out to me, and there's been a lot written about this article in the last day, two days or so. There's been more made of this article than it really deserves. But the point is trying to make that the Patriots just kind of knew that Aaron Hernandez was off murdering people or at least knew that he, I don't know, might go out and murder people sometime. Is it, I don't think that's true. Like, I just, and I get it. And the NFL, and he obviously had a, he had gang connections, and he had this and he had that, but guys with those type of problems, or guys with actual criminal records, or these gang connections, or these, these violent tendencies among football players, get brought into the NFL all the time. These guys get drafted all the time, because yes, even if you seem like you're probably kind of a bad person or you're somebody with a troubled past, if you can play football, they'll let you play football at any level. NFL, college, high school, like they will, yes, teams will sweep stuff under the rug. But even though, you know, Hernandez had a troubled past and had these gang connections and all that, you know what? Yeah, I kind of give the Patriots a pass for not immediately going like, he'll probably murder people. I don't believe that that was an internal discussion they had. I don't believe that Belichick and his guys were sitting down and like, you know what, like, this Hernandez guy might murder people. Do we care about that? It takes a certain kind of person. It takes a person with severe mental issues or a person who is just so far gone or is in such a different reality than we are in the not murdering people world. To bring themselves to murder somebody. Honestly, you have to be a certain type of person to do it. And, you know, you can't just assume that everybody with gang connections or everybody who's had a troubled upbringing, everybody who's, even, even everybody who's committed crimes is like that. So, yes, I kind of give the Patriots a pass for not assuming Hernandez was going to go out and start killing people. Or if you don't, then I feel as though you have to look at every NFL team who drafts a guy with a troubled past or with a bad background or with a criminal record and look at them the same way and say that. Which, yes, those guys didn't kill people. But is it the fault of the Patriots that Aaron Hernandez was murdering people? Would Aaron Hernandez have not been murdering people if he wasn't on the Patriots? No and no. So they had this guy who, you're looking back, a lot of red flags. Obviously, you have a guy who, you know, reportedly, like, never hung out with any of his teammates. Never, you know, was not, you know, wasn't one of the guys with everybody. Once again, was hanging out with his old buddies from high school who were bad news. Yes, he was doing all these things. And all these things are red flags. But they're not enough of red flags where they should have then gone, well, obviously, he's going to murder people. Because like I just said, that is such a leap of faith. You have to be making such really rash assumptions about a person. Which... Turn out not to be rash, but you have to be make, but you do have to make these 
kind of absurd assumptions about somebody to get to the point where you're like, yes, this person is probably going to murder somebody based on, you know, the people they're hanging out with. So, yeah. I just, I can't make this leap that people now, you know, with Super Bowl week coming up, wanting to find more things to kind of say bad about the Patriots. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. It, it, I don't blame Belichick and the Patriots for Aaron Hernandez murdering people. I really, I just don't. I just don't. I don't. So, I don't know. If if Brooke over, over here in Philly wants to make that something. And once again, to his credit, he's not going full force at that. He's not explicitly saying that, but I feel like that's where he's getting at. And even if that's not where he's getting at, there must be some people out there who think that. So then I'm responding to you. So, I don't think the Patriots enable murder. Mind you, out of all the 32 teams, they're the only one in recent memory who has had somebody commit a murder. So, you know. Maybe you got you got more fire to say that than any other team in the league, which is fair. But I just I just think that you had I don't think you can look at Hernandez and just go, oh, that guy's obviously gonna kill people. So that's my only points on that. Anyway, though, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Helmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We're going to be taking a quick break here, and then when we come back, it's top of the 5 o'clock hour now, by the way. When we come back, we will be discussing, I'll be getting back, and I'll be taking this little segue into the kind of thing how the world views the Patriots. We'll be bring, I'll, be, I'll bring it back to the football field, and we'll talk about, I'll talk about matchups, I'll talk about what the plan for the Patriots in this game is. Now, I talked a lot about the plan for the Eagles earlier in the show, but... We'll get back to the game. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some stuff that's going on around the NFL. I have some NBA things I want to talk about. Some other football news in general. So, anyway, once again, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, or you're watching on Facebook Live on the official Mike K Memorial live stream. And once again, if you want to call and talk about any of these things, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Or once again, drop a comment on the live stream. But anyway... Once again, we'll be right back. For the best local pizza, look no further than Big Tony's Pizzeria at 525 Eaton Street, Providence, featuring daily specials and free delivery until 4 a.m. Get a whole pie or just a slice at the home of the gangster rap. So call in at 401-490-0000 for a slice of the local favorite, Big Tony's, often imitated, Never duplicated. Glass Company Smoke Shop and Vapor Lounge is Providence's premier smoke shop and vape supply store. Located at 10 Cedar Swamp Road, Smithfield, Rhode Island. Swing by when they open on November 2nd. Glass Company Smoke Shop. Best smoking supplies in all of our eye. Okay, fellas, thanks for checking out our membership meeting for the unstoppable IOTA Gamma Kappa fraternity. Candidates will be notified around mid-semester. Peace, peace. Have a good day. Yo, can you believe that white boy showed up? Who, Justin? Yeah. I mean, he seems pretty cool. 
He's doing a lot of work in the community. He gets decent grades. Oh, yeah, I played ball with him the other day. Old boy got a mean crossover. Now, see, that's what I'm talking about. White people think that just because they could rap or hoop or something, they could be one of us. Now, what would happen if one of us went across campus and tried to join one of their fraternities? <laughs> Tell you what, it'll be a cold day and you know where before I let a white boy into this frat. You feel me? Nah, Trey. I don't feel you. The first step in fighting racial prejudice is taking a stand. Imagine the power of one voice. Find your voice at freedomcenter.org. A message from the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center and the Ad Council. Plant a tree for your tomorrow. The wood from which tree clad America's Revolutionary War sailing ship, Old Ironsides a tree that can live well over 100 years. Go to the Arbor Day Foundation website, arborday.org, to answer your questions about trees. Taste the breeze, it's life inside you. Make a promise to the earth. Live oak wood clad old ironsides, which British warships could never sink. And once planted, sturdy live oaks can live for well over a century. Go to arborday.org for whatever you need to know about trees. See which oaks or other trees from America's abundant choices are right for planting where you live. See how to plant trees to help clear the air and protect the land. That website again is arborday.org. Plant a tree today for all the world to share. My name is Ruth Rusi. I'm a retired teacher. I'm 91 years old, and this is how I live united. I say retired, but not really. Once a week, I read books to children as part of United Way's education program. Reading to a child creates links between language and literacy. It creates a bond between grown-up and child. And believe it or not, it prepares them for a better academic future. Oh, we read about frogs and flies and pigs with wings, all sorts of juicy stuff. It's a joy to watch all those little faces. I figure I have the time and they have the need. And I've always believed that if we're not here to help each other, then what are we here for, really? My name is Ruth Rusi. I help kids prepare to succeed in school. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Ford at Rick. Can't think of anything better to do? Join 90.7 WXIN. Get your own radio show and force people to listen to your music. Help promote events and shows, or be a voice in a commercial alliance. All tastes and music are welcome at our meeting every Wednesday at 1 o'clock at Horace Man 186. Or check us out at rickradio.org. Come play your music at your station.
This entire piece of music was played with only two instruments, a right hand and a left hand. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life with hands-only CPR. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands-only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association, and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Can you tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. You will never find wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. WXIN Stadium Experience, Jake Elmsley. We've been talking only Super Bowl. It's the only thing that matters. I'll talk about Alex Smith probably eventually today, maybe. Who cares? We got Super Bowl to talk about. Pitch playing against the Eagles. We were talking last segment was all taking it outside the football field, off the gridiron, talking about what people are saying, what people are writing, the people's conspiracy theories, but we're going to talk more about the actual football stuff now. And if you want to call and wave about anything I've been talking about, anything I'm going to talk about, anything you want me to talk about, don't be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Or, of course, if you're watching on Facebook Live, where a majority of my listeners come from, don't be afraid to drop a comment on the Mike Kane Memorial live stream. I am looking at you, Evan Kreiner. Anyway, though, with all that out of the way, we're going to continue on here. And the... Conversation now with this game is kind of starting to become is the and as some people have said this, I believe Troy Brown has said this. You've had some people in the media say, were the Jaguars the harder test for the Patriots this offseason? I mean this off this postseason. This postseason were the Jaguars the better test for the Patriots. 
were they the heart the better team? And it's fair. I mean, I sat. It's a fair thing to ask. I sat here before that game and talked about how the Jaguars really, on balance, have you know all of the specific things you need to beat a Tom Brady-led team: the pass rush, rushing four, blah 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 blah. You know, the strong man coverage, strong running game. All that. They had those things. And then it also was prefaced by, but, you know, they can't actually play offense, so they don't have the real... But they have the, this few things. So it's been a conversation. Are the, were the Jaguars the toughest task? And... I can see where people are coming from with that. Easily. Easily I can see where people come from with that. If you think Nick Foles sucks, and you're like, no, he's worse than Blake Portals, then fine. This Eagles defense... Has not was not you know ranked as high this season as the Jaguars defense. I talked last week about how statistically the Patriots and the Jaguars and the Jaguars, the Patriots and the Eagles defense. I wish Patriots some of the Jaguars defense, but the Patriots and the Eagles defense were similar-ish in terms of numbers and points allowed, sacks, all that. But. I, I mean, I obviously think this Eagles defense is much better in terms of personnel, in terms of talent, in terms of their ability to get to the quarterback. And like I talked about earlier in the show, I think the Patriots are going to... I mean, think Patriots. I think that the Eagles are going to be able to do more on offense than the Jaguars. A good amount more on offense than the Jaguars. I think they're going to have the ability to do a lot of things. And I think Nick Foles is is better than Blake Bortles. I said that almost at the beginning of the show. I think Nick Foles is better than Blake Bortles because that's, that's, that's the state of the NFL right now, that between AFC Championship game and the Eagles and the Super Bowl, I'm like, oh, which one was the tougher test for the Patriots? Was it Blake Bortles? Was it Nick Foles? Or it could have been Case Keenum. Really would have hated the face Case Keenum. That would have been the real test. So, it's not a big deal, but the Eagles can do a lot of the things that the Jaguars can do. For one thing, the Eagles have a very deep D-line, and I believe that the depth they have at D-line is going to be huge for them because you see a lot of these teams that like to send a lot of pressure, like to blitz, like to rush the quarterback a lot. You can do that, and you can do well at it against the Patriots, but a lot of the times that the, when the Patriots beat teams like that, at the end of the games. And in these games, these guys are gassed. They're tired. You saw it during the Jaguars game. With, you know, Smith, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, guys like that. They get gassed by the end of these games. Because they're running at full speed. Like they're doing wind sprints, basically, for the entire game. Like, you're going to get tired after doing that 60, 70 times. And the Patriots against teams like that will take advantage of that. And they'll run a ton of plays. And they'll be in the hurry up. And they will exhaust these guys. So obviously the Patriots having some degree of depth. The Patriots. The Eagles having a lot of depth on the D-line is going to be huge for them. They have four or five guys who can rush the passer from the outside. I mean, Brandon Graham. Vinnie Curry, Derek Barnett, who's been a fantastic rookie. Chris Long, then on the inside, you have Jerrigan, Fletcher Cox. And then they have a lot of depth at the linebacker position. Like, I will say, I'm not saying that they have a better front seven or a better D-line than the Jaguars, because that's not true. 
but they still have a very good D-line, and they have a deep D-line. So they have the ability to have guys come in, sub out, sub in, maybe not during individual drives, but they have the ability to keep these, if they handle things a certain way, they have the ability to, to a pretty good degree, keep these guys rested. Keep, um, keep these guys at least less winded than they might be if they had to play the whole game. So that's a thing they have going for them. Also, they have had good secondary play, which has been understated. I mean, Ronald Darby has been very good for them this year. Jalen Mills has been a revelation. So they have Patrick Robinson was an amazing pickup for them. So they have the ability to. So they have the ability to play up on the line, to press the receivers, to throw them off their rhythm and all that. They have the ability to do those things. Maybe once again, maybe not quite as well as the Jaguars, but they still they still have the pieces of the formula. And then to compound with that, they have the ability to do a lot on offense with like I talked about with Jeffrey, with Aguilar, with Torrey Smith, with Zach Ertz. Even their backup tight ends are very good. They have a their O line, I believe graded out as the best or one of the best O-lines from Pro Football Focus and all those places. So they have the ability to protect their quarterback. They have, they can do a lot on offense, so compounding that with a defense that has at least the skeletons of what you need to beat the Patriots. Once again, they don't have all the things, well, they have all the things, but they don't have quite, not quite as good of the things as the Jaguars were, but if I'm saying the Jaguars were an A in terms of defenses to beat the Patriots, Eagles are a B plus. So compound that with an offense that's better, that can do more things, that could take advantage, that could actually create real mismatches. Yeah, I'd say overall, the more I talk about it, I would say the Eagles are a tougher opponent for the Patriots. Now, that being in a vacuum, though, I think that the Patriots playing the Jaguars last week, and not to say that Tom Brady ever needs to really you know, get himself ready for any type of game, but... Yeah, the Patriots offense, yeah, they faced a defense that was built to beat them, and now they're going against a slightly lesser defense that still has the factors, still has the elements that give them a lot of trouble. So they... So they will be tuned. The O-line played amazingly against the Jaguars. Nate Solder, hopefully he's still in. Hopefully Irving or Waddle, whichever one of them plays, hopefully they're still locked in. Hopefully the receivers still understand how to beat that, or at least Brandon Cooks is still in a headspace to beat press coverage. They'll be getting Gronk back. Like, I think over, and they were able to beat him, beat that without Gronk for the most play. Obviously, they have, obviously they have Amendola going, so hopefully they can build off that and use, you know, the things that they used when they were scoring on the Jaguars. They have those skills in place. They've worked on those things, and hopefully they can... Keep up with that and use that to their advantage when now they're going against the Eagles, where they'll have to do a lot of the same things well to beat them. So hopefully that works in their favor, and then, well, we just have to hope to God that the defense holds up. Just pray to pray to your Bill Belichick plushie that the defense holds up. And once again, it's Nick Foles. Like I, once again, as I said at the beginning of the show, 
They're not going to be able to do a lot of the things they did against the Vikings. Because the Vikings, once again, wait, far superior defense, but they just played like utter crap in that game. They did not play like a good defense. They Once again, they couldn't tackle. They couldn't really... So, yeah, they, what was I even saying? <laughs> I apologize. The, oh my God, what the hell was I talking about? I, I just completely zoned out there. Wow. Um. Anyway, the Patriots will have the Vikings defense. Jesus Christ. The Vikings defense. Far better defense. Far better players in the Patriots defense. But they, they played like such utter crap that I can't look at that game and go, well, that's how this Eagles offense performs against a defense that's, you know, the Nick Foles Eagles perform against a defense that's the caliber of the Vikings defense. Because they were just not... Playing like it. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't. They just, they were blowing assignments. Left and right. And they weren't playing. They weren't playing like a good defense. They were not playing like a good defense. They were not playing like just how they'd play all year. And I talked about it last week, how that made me sad. Because they made a lot of people feel like that team didn't belong to be in that game. Which I don't contend. Because I think that Vikings team had an excellent run. I think it's an excellent team. I think the Vikings with Mike Zimmer and all there, and Rick Spellman as the GM, I think they have one of the best programs going in the NFL right now, just in terms of their ability to draft and develop players, and I, th I think Mike Zimmer is one of the best coaches in the league now. I mean, I honestly do believe that. What he's been able to do, and Spellman's been a great job. They've been one of the best teams at drafting the last four or five years. You look at that Vikings team, almost every, you know, meaningful good good player on that team was drafted by them and developed by them and then retained by them i mean obviously every team has free agents but no i mean you know they're almost their entire defense was drafted by the vikings was drafted by this administration in the vikings and yeah so i just i think that's one of the top programs and it makes me sad that getting blown out by the Eagles is tarnishing people's perceptions. But you know what? On the other hand, like you get trashed in a game like that and you play like utter crap, like you invite that. So I think they'll be back, but that's not what's important. We're not, I'm not here to gush and rave about the Vikings, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's almost hard to look at that game and really fully evaluate this Eagles offense with Nick Foles because they didn't look good otherwise against the Eagles, against Cowboys, the Raiders, everybody else they played. The rest of the year, it just, it, it's not a good barometer. And they've obviously changed things on offense. They've obviously updated things. Once again, they added a lot of the RPOs. They are, they added some elements from the Chip Kelly offense that was successful for Nick Foles in his original run with the Eagles back when he was my guy, back when he was the future, back when he was the baby goat. Nick Foles in 2012, 
But they did things differently. So there was an improvement. And Nick Foles was playing out of his mind. He was. I mean, these guys were open. These guys weren't good, but he was still hitting them. He was still throwing dimes. Like, he was playing very well. So I don't want to look at that game and give them too much credit. But I also don't want to look at that game and not give them enough credit and just sit here and be like, huh, Nick Foles. I'm, a, I'm a scared of Nick Foles. So... They're going to have better offensive production than the Patriots saw to the Jaguars. They are. They're going to have better offense. It's going to be a better offense, and they're going to play better offense. So just be warned, and, you know, with that and the defense being, you know, a light version of the Jaguars' defense in terms of matching up with the Patriots, I think overall I think that that does make the Eagles a better a more challenging team for the Patriots to face, even with Nick Foles. If they had Carson Wentz and you tried to entertain this conversation, I'd say you were an idiot and that the Eagles are clearly better. They're probably a better team than the Patriots overall with Nick Foles. I still would bet on the Patriots just because of the experience and blah, 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 and all that. But to get to it, to just kind of wrap up Super Bowl talk for the last time here, really wrap up Patriots pregame discussions. For the season, which is has me feeling melancholy, I guess. It makes me sad that Job couldn't come in today. I really wanted I really wanted to be I really wanted to do your job for the last time of the Patriots season today, so regrettably he's not here. But in his honor, I'll do predictions. And just to wrap it up for this game to predict it. I want. I, I picked. I mean, I'm picking the Patriots. I, I am gonna pick the Patriots because in the end, I think they'll figure out a way to limit Nick Foles and the guys. But to say it, the I I want to say it's not gonna be a close game, but I know that I'm wrong, and the Patriots will somehow find a way to make this a stupid, stupid close game that'll destroy me on the inside. The entire. Game. So I'm gonna say final score. I'm gonna I'm gonna predict the Patriots are gonna take the Super Bowl 27-24 is what I'll say. And it'll be close and it'll be stupid and I'll be mad the entire time. And Landon Roberts will do something stupid. Kyle Van Noy will do something stupid. Malcolm Butler will get blown by, and then I'll adamantly defend him because I'm a fanboy for him. But it'll still make me sad. But yes, the I think the Patriots are gonna take it, and you know what? Yeah, 27-24 feels like the right place to drop that score. So that's what we're going with. Lock it in. Last prediction of the year. Patriots 27-24. Job wasn't here. I guarantee he would have said my prediction because about. Half the time, half the time this season, Job has just taken my prediction, and then I've had to change mine on the fly. And then the one time he's not here, I don't even have a prediction coming in because this show has been horrendously unscripted today. But yeah, Patriots twenty-seven twenty-four over the Eagles, and with that, I guess we'll close the book on pregame analysis. For Patriots in the 2017-2018 season on the stadium experience. So...
Don't really know how to transition out of that, but we're going to do it anyway. Ooh. Transition! There's like seven other things that I want to talk about that are less important, but I want to get to them now anyway. First off, since I guess we'll stick to the NFL, because I'm not going to try to divvy up sports at all. This obviously the big news that broke yesterday, the weird news that broke yesterday. I think this is the first time we've had like a real blockbuster trade in the week leading up to the Super Bowl, at least an agreed upon trade because trades cannot be made till the start of the league year on March 3rd. But obviously, if you haven't heard yet, the Chiefs have traded Alex Smith to the Redskins for a third round pick. And Kendall Fuller, which makes me sad because obviously I came here months ago and decided I was going to be ballsy and call Alex Smith to the Jaguars in like October. And apparently I was wrong about that because that is not what's going to happen. But this move is interesting. Uh, stupid thing to say. My take is interesting. It's an interesting thing that happened. But no. I believe, and me and Josh Percy were talking about this earlier. Oh, also big thing in the trade. Because once again, this isn't official yet, but they've agreed to it. So conceivably it's going to happen unless, you know, one of them like spits on the other one's grave or something. In, like the next couple months. Because they can't actually file the paperwork on these things illegal. But then the other part of it that's being reported is that. This is not what I talked about with Josh, by the way. <laughs> but the other part of this is that Alex Smith has now been extended We'll be getting an extension for four years. It's worth $89 million with $71 million guaranteed. Don't know if it's fully guaranteed because that's the only number that matters, but it sounds big, but I doubt it's all fully guaranteed. But the... So Alex Smith has been traded to the... Chiefs. To the Chiefs. From the Chiefs. Has been traded to the Redskins, which I, I want to get into the implications about you know, the, what that means for Kirk Cousins, obviously, because that's the other giant domino to this. But in terms of Alex Smith... The Jaguars, once again, the Jaguars, Jesus Christ. The Chiefs got a third round pick this year and Kendall Fuller, a second year cornerback out of VT. If you're a big, big VT fan. So, I personally, me and Josh were talking about this earlier. This was the thing I was talking about with Percy. The, I believe that this is, this is roughly, I think the best, is around the best haul the Chiefs are going to be able to get for Alex Smith. Coming out on an expiring contract on the one-year deal, which, mind you, turned out not being the biggest thing because the Redskins re-signed it. But that's not necessarily part of the value of the trade, other than that Smith had to agree to do that instead of agreeing to go to some shithole like Cleveland, which maybe could have offered more, but they would have been offering it on one year of Alex Smith, so they wouldn't be trading... They wouldn't be given the value for five years of Alex Smith that the Redskins are getting. It's kind of a weird roundabout way to think about it, but the I think this haul is was really among the best that the Reds that the Chiefs were gonna get. It's still really surprising <laughs> to see them do it this early, two weeks out from getting knocked out in the divisional round, and you'd think that they could hear more offers, which maybe they could have. Maybe you think that the that the Chiefs could have gotten a second or a first round pick for him, which I don't believe. But you know, if you want to believe that though, and then tell me, well, how would they know they did it in January? They did it in January for some reason. And fine, like I'm not gonna sit and die on a hill arguing with you about whether or not Alex Smith was worth the third round pick 
No, he was worth a second round pick. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I w if you want to say that I'm an idiot and he's worth a second round pick, fine. Fine, 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 fine. Also, Kendall Fuller has been an excellent young cornerback this year. He was graded out as one of the top, or if not the top, slot cornerback in the NFL. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't care. You don't really care about the numbers out there. You don't care about them either, about the numbers for Kendall Fuller. But he was a good player. So they're getting a very good cornerback. So they're getting a young player at a premium position. And obviously, the value of this is then also to them that now they can obviously play Patrick Mahomes, who... They traded up in the draft for last year, yada, yada, yada. So now they can play him. And that's the idea behind this. Now, I'm glad that this happened for one reason. And that is that I am so happy that Kirk Cousins doesn't have to deal with the Redskins crap anymore. Because I, I have been a confessed... And I have said this many times on the show as a victory lap. I have been a Cousins fanatic since he was drafted. Part of it was I hate RG3. That was a part of it. But mainly, I liked him. I liked him in college. I liked him as a prospect. I liked him in the flashes he got to play. Now he played a little bit more second or third year. and didn't work out too good. But I have been a very big Cousins fan for a long time. So I was psyched when he got to play. I was psyched when he did well. I was psyched when he played the next year and did well. He didn't do so good this year, but it's fine. Because everybody, everybody on that team got hurt. I li literally everybody on the Redskins got hurt this year at some point. Or they were Terrell Pryor and were just ass. But Kirk Cousins has been getting jerked around by these guys for so long and it's just been so sad and just I like earlier in the summer when they went and had a whole you know when they offered him a, a deal and he rejected it and then the Redskins had a press conference and you know piece of shit Dan Schneider and the Redskins sat up there and said we offered Kirk this deal and we gave him 55 million guaranteed and then you read into that and you're like, wait a minute, that sounds like a lot, but that's the same amount he'd be making getting franchised this year and then next year. So really, it's not a good deal at all for him. You're offering him the same amount of money he'd make anyway and then forcing him to take a longer term deal. So, and also, yeah, Dan Schneider is a bad person and the Redskins, I don't like him and they're going to be mediocre with Alex Smith. I feel kind of bad for Alex Smith now that he's going to go there and that he's going to go there and they're going to just continue to go 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. So, you know, they can have fun there. But yeah, I am glad that my man Kirk is free. I'm glad he doesn't have to go back there. I don't appreciate him. And I'm not saying he's great, but he's an above-average quarterback. And frankly, we're seeing an above-average free agent quarterback, which hasn't happened, which, like, never, never happened. So this is, on its own, kind of amazing that we're seeing this. And that we're seeing Kirk Cousins. Obviously, this isn't Peyton Manning in 2011. But still, still pretty cool, though, that we're seeing that Kirk Cousins is going to hit the free agent market. And he's going to get paid way too much money. He's going to get paid a stupid amount of money. And it's going to be... It, who could it be? It could be the Titans. I mean, it could be the Titans. It could be the Jaguars. 
be the Vikings, all these teams, the Browns, even the Broncos. I think. I mean, like, like, like where Kirk, like Kirk, there are a lot of places that Kirk Cousins can go that it will seriously impact the landscape of the NFL. You know, if he goes to the Browns, they give him a stupid amount of money, and that's what he does. He just wants a stupid amount of money. Then that doesn't mean anything. He's off there to die on an island in Cleveland. But I and I don't think he'll do that because he's made a lot of money, and Kirk seemingly wants to go somewhere where he can win. I just get that feeling with him, which is not a take. That's just a feeling. And, you know, that's just a feeling. But if he's willing to, he could go somewhere. I mean, the Jaguars have the money to sign him straight up. Go there. That would be huge without Blake Bortles. I mean, as well as he played against the Patriots. So you get and go to the Broncos. That would be huge. I mean, the Broncos defense, that would at least give them another season of being a real contender. Like, there are, there are things that Kurt can do here that will, yeah, I'll shake it up. I mean, you have you have a B-plus quarterback on the market, which you oh, which we never see. Which we never, ever, ever see. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see Kurt go somewhere and succeed. I love the guy. I do like that. I do like that. Anyway, that's all I got to say about my man, Kurt Cousins. About my man, Kurt Cousins. All right, to move on from that, though, since I don't want to do commercials, since we only have 25 minutes, I'm just going to do these awkward, awkward transitions between between segments now. Let's do basketball. Talk about basketball. And last week, we talked about trade rumors. I talked about Tyreek Evans being a potential target for the Patriots. Seemingly now, the Tyreek Evans trade saga... The, you know, the Tyreek Evans trade saga has only gotten kind of more dramatic and seemingly a ton, there's more teams involved, and but they are intent on, on trading him one way or the other, but seemingly they're being rough about it. They are, and seemingly, you know, more teams are in on it than the Celtics, which is shocking to hear that people are in on this guy who's averaging 19 points a game and making no money, but... Now we have a real trade because the trade deadline's coming up. Trade deadline is real, real soon. Like I said, I've talked about how it's this is like the saddest trade deadline because I'm not as excited for it because nothing's happening. But trade deadline is in eight days now, which I totally didn't just look up because I can't remember it. But the trade deadline is in eight days now. And we have seen. Excuse that. Excuse that again. Excuse me, falling apart right now. But yesterday we saw, within the last two days, we saw Blake Griffin was traded by the was traded by the Clip Clippers to the Pistons, and Blake Griffin, who was signed to a giant, giant contract. In the offseason, Blake Griffin, who was, you know, purportedly a guy that a lot of us are talking about the Celtics going after, who was instead now kind of wasting away on this nah Clippers team that they're having a very rough season. They're not making the playoffs. They seem to go into the fire sale mode now, but Blake Griffin was traded for Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Bob Boban Majanovic, 
and a first and second round pick. And then the Clippers are also sending Willie Reed and Bryce Johnson. Who who cares? Who who cares? I don't care. Do you care? No. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about Bryce Johnson and Willie Reed. Sorry, guys. But they've been sent as a part of the trade. So basically, like, they're trading. The Clippers got Tobias Harris, Bradley, Majanovic, a first and a first and second round pick. And to me, a lot of people are hating on this. I don't think it's the worst trade for them. I will say, like, if they are intent on unloading Brake Griffin, which really they should be. They probably should have blown up this, you know, core a little while ago and started this rebuild earlier. But now that they're doing it, I, I credit them. I credit the Clippers for doing this. I think that's probably the best move. I mean, soon they're going to be moving on from Williams and Drummond. They're not content to tank. At least they've said that they're not content with tanking. And who knows? That I mean, nobody ever says they're going to tank, on the other hand. But in terms of implication, I don't really think this... This trade definitely helps the Pistons. They're out of the playoffs right now, but also, I mean, inevitably, inevitably, <laughs> Blake Griffin's just going to get hurt again and it's not going to mean anything. And they're going to have no depth and probably lose in the first round to make the playoffs. Or maybe not. Maybe this is the time that Blake Griffin stays healthy and just the LA air was affecting him more. So I doubt it, though. I mean, he's just going to get hurt again because he's Blake Griffin and that's what he does. So. Yeah, that's really all I got to say about the uh, the Blake Griffin trade of Rooney that went down the other day. Now, I promise you I'm going to stop this rapid fire segment here. But the last thing that I do want to talk about and something that I'm very intrigued by, something I've been trying to hop on other guys' podcasts to talk about before mine and they just will not let me. So I'm here now on mine with about 19 minutes left to go. Before I got a cut out here, probably could not take 20 minutes for this. But the announcement earlier this week that by Vince McMahon that he's going to be bringing back the XFL. The XFL, if you don't know, if you haven't seen anything about this, was a football league that Vince McMahon brought early, early in the 2000s. And it was a disaster. They played in the spring. It was a disaster. (laughs) Everything was bad about it. Nobody knew how to play. They tried to sell it like this was real tough, tough football. That's how they tried to sell it. And everybody at the games looked like an inbred. And it was... And the players were... And the players weren't... And the players weren't good. And... It didn't work out. It fell apart after a year. And it he was trying to throw, like, all this WWE bull in it. And it was... It was just... It was just really, really stupid. But it's kind of funny to look back on. Now he's trying to bring it back. And, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is, ha, 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 that's stupid. That's not going to work. But the more I think about it, it's, and I, I don't think it's going to work. Like, it, it, I'm gonna about to say a bunch of stuff about it. But, like, in the end, pref- preface, I, it's not going to work. But what it does do is it does open up the discussion, though. I believe this is why McMahon will be doing it, is that it does open up a discussion, though, about, how disillusioned are people with the NFL? How is all the drama, as you know, with the suspensions, with you know people's issues with rulings 
and people's issues with this and that and seeing the Patriots all the time and people's just problems with stuff and people's all the dramas around the NFL is people's problem do people and plus with the pace of play and replay and the officiating are people's problems with the NFL do they run so deep are they really this sick of all this you know this stuff this, this extracurricular stuff surrounding the NFL are people sick enough of it that they would flock to another football league if given the chance if it at least had some modicum of quality and you know, this goes back to the discussion you know, all season about how the ratings have been falling, which really has been a non-story the whole time. I've I've been on the fence that the ratings were inevitably going to decline. It has nothing to do with, you know, with Trump or with Kaepernick or with or even like a, decl- a so-called decline in play people talk about. But the people who disagree with me, they think that the ratings has more to do with that. So it at least opens this door to discuss what, Is there enough? People have enough problems in the NFL that if it happens, and, and and they won't because in the end this league will be crap. Like it will not, it will not be good football just because there just aren't enough good players, there aren't enough good coaches on the planet. But it does at least open the door for this discussion. And now, and he's talked about a lot about how he's going to try to cut down on the goal for this league will be for pace of play to be very fast, have games only last two hours, which obviously goes a harder pace of play. He's also brought up, you know, oh, everybody, nobody with criminal records. Everybody's going to stand for the anthem. And what I don't like about that is that the, I know that inevitably the discourse about this will be that it'll, it'll be framed like, oh, Vince McMahon is setting up, you know, the right wing football league, which I really don't think is the case. At least if I'm trying to, you know, give Vince McMahon, who's a brilliant man, I mean, he, very successful guy. If I'm trying to give him credit, I think it's him looking at this and going, like, people have a lot of problems with the NFL, not politically, but just with the pace of play, with all the bullshit surrounding it, people have a lot of problems. And if I can provide a better an alternative that doesn't have those and have a quality of play, maybe people will enjoy it. Maybe that's a product that could be successful. Also offering it in the spring, obviously not going head-to-head with the NFL because that's moronic, but it does open the door to the discussion of how much of the of the NFL's crap will people take if there's at least a decent alternative. So yeah, I, I just think it opens the door to that kind of discussion, and it's interesting. I hope I hope that the discourse on that doesn't become what I'm afraid, and also the thing's not coming out for another two years, so who knows, maybe all the problems that, that kind of open the door for this kind of thing will just be completely gone, but... At the moment, I hope the discourse doesn't just go towards Vince McMahon trying to make the right wing, the right wing Trump fan football league. But anyway, with all that out of the way, it's that special time of day again where I bid you all adieu. You have been listening or watching on the Mike Hamill Memorial live stream, the stadium experience with your host Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. I will see you all next week, same time, right here, 4 to 6 p.m. I'll be talking about whatever happens in the Super Bowl. I'll be talking about what it means could be a very happy show it might be a very very angry show but either way i'll be here whatever emotions i have so thank you everybody for listening once again we'll be back next week here for the state of experience with jake elmsley on 90.7 wxin see you next week